everybody. Thank you guys for joining us this week. Uh, it's funny. Um, I've got a, a, a friend that comes here to the church who has a YouTube channel all about Star Trek. And I think sometimes that, that now since we're all video like this until I don't know when, I want to keep doing like a captain's log, like on Next Generation, uh, captain's log 92053, you know, like, I don't know. But uh, anyways, um, here we are again. Uh, we're doing this whole video thing, which uh, I'll be honest with, I am very much over. I don't enjoy it much. I would rather have you in the room, but we're not there yet. And let me speak to that just for a second. Um, we have the church open for prayer. Um, we can do up to 10 people an hour in the sanctuary, the room that I'm in right now. And uh, if you come to our church, I hope you pay attention to me for a second. If you don't, I'm not talking to you, so don't be offended. Um, we have the capacity to put 240 people a day, 24 hours in a day, 10 people an hour, in this room praying. Now listen, I know that is not our massive weekly services. I get that, but we can't have our massive weekly services right now. What we can do right now is come together in small groups and pray. And quite frankly, that's much more important. Of all things, Jesus wanted his house, his church, to be a place of prayer. So I want to encourage you, and not because I want to brag on how many people come into this place and pray, but for our good, for the health of the church, for the health of you, for the health of your family, I'm talking about spiritual health, we have the opportunity to come in here and pray. And so I want to encourage you to get online, sign up, give an hour of your time. Guys, all of us can do this. All of us can do this. Come in and um, spend a little bit of time in here praying, getting in, in, in touch with God, connecting with him a little bit deeper. So when we eventually do come back to having a little bit more normalcy and weekend services, we will be completely prepared and our hearts will be in the right place and it'll be really, really good for us. So anyways, um, a, a little slight uh, chastisement there. Just um, guys, we need to be filling up all those slots and getting people in here to pray. It's very, very important. So all that being said, um, I'll, go, I'll go easy, I, I, I think, for the rest of the time we're talking. We're in the book of Matthew. We've been in it for some time and we're starting chapter 10 this week. If you're new and you haven't been with us, this is what we do. We go through whole books of the Bible chapter by chapter, line by line, verse by verse. And we're in, I think, probably the most important book of the entire Bible. It's the first book of the New Testament. So about 65, 70% through your Bible, if you, if you own one, is the book of Matthew, and it starts the New Testament, mostly about the life of Christ. But what we're gonna see in chapter 10 is we're gonna start talking more about the followers of Christ, so last week, if you didn't watch, or um, maybe you've never watched before, when we wrapped up chapter nine, we talked about this. We asked ourselves, are we willing to be shepherds? Because Jesus looks at his disciples, his followers, and he says, look out at all these people, all these crowds, all these cities, all these urban areas and rural areas. And he looks at his disciples and he says, there's a lot of people that need help, but the people who want to go and help are few and far between. The workers are few. So we talked about last week, are you and I willing to be the workers, right? Are we willing to go out into urban areas, rural areas, our work, our gym, our coffee shops, wherever we may go, with the intentionality, right, the intention of shepherding people into a relationship with Jesus? Are we willing to do that? It's hard work, sometimes very disappointing work, but are we willing to do that? On, on kind of the coattails of that idea, chapter 10, there comes a shift in chapter 10. The shift is more, I mean, we're still gonna see Jesus work, but we're gonna see the shift of Jesus doing all the work to then handing the work to his followers. We call them disciples. And what we're gonna talk about today, are we disciples, right? discipleship or following Jesus Christ, doing what he tells us to do, living the way he wants us to live has never stopped. It didn't stop 2,000 years ago when he ascended into heaven. It continues now. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we disciples, right? Do we just say we're followers of Jesus or do we actually follow Jesus? Okay. That's what we're going to talk about. So if you have a Bible, we're in chapter 10. We're not going to do all of chapter 10 of the book of Matthew. If you have your smartphone, we have the Experience Community app you can download. Click on Services and Sermon Notes, and all of your notes are right there. Everything I'm gonna talk about, including the scripture, 
If you're online, if you get to experiencecc.com, we have all of our notes there. Video will be on YouTube, on Facebook Live, on Vimeo, all that good stuff. So you can get on there and watch. So I'm going to pray. We'll jump into chapter 10. We'll get to about verse 23. And um, we'll kind of see where the Lord takes us today. Okay. (sighs) Father, Lord, be with me today. God, I, I feel discouraged today. feel a little frustrated today. God, I love you. I know that through this time you're doing something, and I just pray that we can see what you're doing. Lord, I I pray that during this time we can can draw closer, not further from you. I pray that during this time, even though it is different from what we're used to, God, but that that we can hopefully understand that you've allowed these things for a reason. God, keep your hand on everyone that comes to our church. Keep your hand on everyone that goes to any church, Lord. Keep your hand on non-believers, Father. Keep your hand on those who are seeking truth. Keep your hand on the pastors in our community and the government officials of our community, God. Give us wisdom, Lord. God, be with us today as we study a little bit of your word. I pray that your word jumps off the page, God, and, and that it's not just fun stories that we read or interesting things that we read, but these are the principles of your kingdom, God, and that we apply those to our lives. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we give all of this, Lord, Uh, All the glory to you, God. All the honor to you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's uh, get to work here. Chapter 10, okay? Matthew writes, Summoning his 12 disciples, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to drive them out and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter. Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Okay, so more than likely, there was a time lapse between chapter 9 and chapter 10. Some time had passed. Not sure exactly how much, but, but some time had passed there. So what we have done so far in the book of Matthew, if we have moved from the, the testing of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 to Jesus teaching us the principles of the kingdom of God in chapters 5 through 7, then we see the beginning of Jesus' ministries and, and ministry in chapter 8 and 9. And now in chapter 10, we're going to see that Jesus is going to commission, empower, send out his disciples. And that brings us to our first point. At some point, the people who hear what I'm talking about today, what the Word of God says, at some point we have to respond. It's not about just Jesus doing all the work. Eventually, we have to step up to the plate and we have to respond to the gospel. And that's what's starting to happen in chapter 10 with his disciples. And so Jesus didn't just send them out empty-handed, though. He gave them his authority. Authority there simply means permission and power. I'm sending you out and I'm going to equip you to go out and do what I want you to do. His followers were going to go throughout Israel. They were called to heal, to deliver, to drive out demonic spirits. Now, this was just in Israel at first in chapter 10. And then at the end of Matthew, Jesus is going to commission them to go out to the entire world. So why Israel first? Well, God loves all people, right? From all different areas, from all different colors, from all different backgrounds. He loves everyone, but he was going to have Israel be the starting point. He was going to give them the opportunity to be the catalyst to send out the gospel message to the entire world. That was kind of of, of ground zero, if you will, okay? So this group of guys, right, these 12 individuals, were a very diverse and unique group. And what that shows us, and you can go back and study what all these guys did, and we don't know what all of them did, but we have a pretty good, pretty good idea of all of their backgrounds and family backgrounds. But if you go back and study them, very diverse, and that shows us that Jesus is willing to use anyone who will accept the call. And this is very important, kind of our second point, if you will. It is not about our ability, it's about our availability. It's not about how talented or good we are. It's about acknowledging how good he is 
and being available for him to use us. We also see that in verse one, these men are called disciples. In verse two, they're called apostles. Why? This is just kind of a fun fact. A disciple is anyone that follows Jesus. An apostle, at least in this context, is the people that had firsthand contact, right? They actually were with him physically during that time. Those were called the apostles. Now, Paul was also called an apostle. He was kind of an honorary apostle. He came in contact with Jesus in in kind of a physical form after Jesus died, resurrected, and went up to heaven. Okay, so he was kind of an honorary apostle. So these men, these 12 men that it talks about, well, let me clarify, 11 of the 12 men are the foundation of Christianity. Actually, in Revelation chapter 21, it says that when we get to heaven, the new Jerusalem that comes down, the foundations of the city that we will be living in, right, actually have the name of these disciples written on them. Now, 11 of the apostles were responsible for taking the gospel out that eventually spread to the entire globe. And what we learn from Judas, the one that it even says here was the one that betrayed Jesus, is we learn a very important lesson that not all people who are called to do the work of God accept the call. Not only do all not accept it, some will actually become enemies of the gospel. So this brings me to this point. And this is going to kind of set the tone for the rest of this lesson. As disciples, you and I, if we call ourselves Christians, right? As disciples, we're called to do the exact same thing that these men were called to do. To spread the gospel with authority and to spread the gospel with love everywhere we go, okay? To the ends of the earth. Okay, next part. Jesus sent out these 12 after giving them instructions. Don't take the road that leads to the Gentiles and don't enter any Samaritan towns. Instead, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with leprosy, drive out demons, Jesus said, freely you received, freely give. Don't acquire gold, silver, or copper for your money belts. Don't take a traveling bag for the road or an extra shirt or sandals or a staff for the worker is worthy of his food. When you enter into any town or village, find out who is worthy and stay there until you leave. Greet a household when you enter it. And if the household is worthy, let your peace be on it. But if it is unworthy, let your, repeat, let your peace return to you. If anyone does not welcome you or doesn't listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. That's a big statement. We'll get to that here in a second. So Jesus sent out the 12 with very specific orders. What do we learn from that right off the bat? We learn that God has expectations and goals in mind when we follow him, right? It's not just the way we want to do it. It's the way he wants to do it. So God has an inflexible standard that he calls Christians, disciples, followers of him to uphold. Now, that can vary in method. What do I mean by that? What that means is this. All Christians, wherever you are on planet Earth, are to have the same mission, the same vision, and the same major theology, right? That Jesus is the only pathway to heaven, things like that, right? Concrete major theology. We can differ in method, which means the way we go out and do what Jesus wants us to do is going to look different in Middle Tennessee than it does in maybe Boston, Massachusetts, or maybe how it does in Uganda, Africa, or South Korea. It's going to look different in different areas. The method can change, but the mission cannot, and the theology cannot. So those things have to remain intact. So these guys were sent out to the lost sheep of Israel. Again, I said this earlier. The starting point was Israel, and the Jewish religious leaders had 
failed this nation. The people of God, the leaders of the people of God have failed them. So Jesus was going to send out the disciples to proclaim that heaven has come near, right? That the kingdom has come, if you will. They were also told to go out to to heal people, pray for, for people to be healed, to pray for the dead to be raised, to cast demons out of people and pray for people who have been uh, oppressed by evil. Basically, all the things Jesus did, he looked at his followers and said, now it's your turn. You go out and do these things. Now we have to be very, very careful with this. Christians are called to be like Christ, but we have to acknowledge we are not Christ. What that means is this. We don't have the power to save. We don't have the power to heal. We don't have the power to do anything apart from God. So there's a lot of people who take passages like this. Well, Jesus went out and healed everyone. We should be able to heal everyone. Now, I believe in the gift of healing. I believe in all the spiritual gifts, all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But I'm not God, which means that every time I lay my hands on someone and pray for them to be healed, it is up to God to do that. And a lot of people take that to believe that if I do lay my hands on someone and they're not healed, there's either something wrong with them or something wrong with me. And that's not the case. What we have to do is we are followers of Christ, not Christ. So we have to trust in God's sovereignty and God's will. Do we pray for people to be healed? Absolutely. But even if I have all the faith in the world, if it is not God's will to heal in that instance, I have to just trust him. We have to be careful. We're like Christ or we try to be like Christ, but we're not Christ. It's not about our abilities. It's about his abilities, his will, his sovereignty. Okay, so we gotta be careful with that. We also have to trust that God will provide and protect us. So the disciples were told, when you go out, don't take anything, right? Don't take a bunch of money. Don't even take a bunch of clothes. Don't take any food. Trust for God to provide for all your needs. They were also told, as you have been given freely by God, you give freely to other people. As you have been blessed, bless other people. Now, here's where I'm going to go down kind of a a, a snarky, sarcastic road here for a second. In American Christianity, we have lived pretty darn comfortable, right? We live very, very comfortable lives. Listen, we live in a nation to where even most homeless people walk around with a $1,200 smartphone. It's completely different than virtually everywhere else on planet Earth. We live an extremely comfortable lifestyle. Now, according to Jesus's teachings, one would think since we've been given a lot, the Bible says this, we should be giving a lot. But in America, we tend to hoard, in American Christianity, we tend to hoard all those blessings and keep them for ourselves when we should be giving a lot of those things out. So here's the thing, guys. I'm not talking about socialism or communism. Communism and socialism mandates that you give certain things away. Being a Christian should be a change of the heart to where if we see people that don't have things, we should want to give things away. Because ultimately, we need to keep in our mind that we have not earned anything. Well, I earned this house. I earned this. I earned that. Only because God has allowed you to. And when we have the mindset of ultimately it all belongs to him, we hold things a lot more open-handedly and we give things out more frequently. So these disciples go out to work to, to do the work of Jesus Christ, right? Which must have been exciting. It must have been deeply purposeful. It must have been rewarding. And it must have also been extremely hard and extremely disappointing. So here's the thing. Because of the tension of being a follower of Christ, Jesus says, don't do it alone. It's going to be hard out there. Yes, it's exciting. Imagine, these men saw people get healed. They saw demons get cast out. They saw all these amazing things. Yeah, this is awesome. Then they also got the junk kicked out of them sometimes. They were spat upon and they had to flee from town to town because people hated them and ran them out. So Jesus says, don't do this alone. Listen, we are not engineered to do this walk with God alone. That's why we have the church. That's why we have community. Jesus said, go out. There are no lone rangers in the kingdom of God. No lone rangers in the kingdom of God. We are called to be communal. And that's why so many of us are struggling right now because we know we need that community. It's very difficult. 
So Jesus said, when you go out to the different towns, find houses that are worthy. Now, what does that mean? Literally, that word worthy right there means weighty. In other words, go to people's house who are receptive to what you have to say. So basically, in our day and age, if we were to approach someone, we're talking with them, and we bring up our faith, and they're like, I don't want to hear about your faith. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to force it on you, right? I'll go and I'll find someone that, that does want to hear about my faith. Of course, we still pray. We still, you know, carry on conversations with those that don't want to hear about what we have to say, but we have to be able to use our time wisely. So it's not about who is comfortable to talk to. It's not about who is popular to talk to. Jesus tells us to find those who are willing to listen to the gospel, willing to hear the truth, worthy. But what if they're not worthy? Now, this is where it gets uncomfortable, and this is where we don't like to talk about stuff like this. Jesus says, if, if you go to a place and they don't want to hear what you have to say, they're not receptive. He says, keep your peace, which means keep your blessing. Don't bless that house because we don't want to bless bad behavior. We don't want to say, hey, I know you don't want to hear anything about the truth. Be blessed. You can't be blessed unless you want to hear the truth. So Jesus says, don't, don't bless that house. And not only that, Jesus says, when you leave that area, shake the dust off your feet, right? Don't, don't worry about it. It's, it's not your problem at that point. You have presented the opportunity to hear the truth. They don't want to hear it. Find someone that does. That is extremely unpopular to say. We don't like to say that because we want to be liked and accepted, right? Because we're insecure, broken people. So when people aren't receptive, Jesus' own words, he said, leave and find people that are because the gospel must be received. Listen, salvation is a gift. It's not a mandate, right? It's not something I can force upon you. It's not something that you have to take. So just like Jesus says, here's this free gift of salvation, if we reject it, Jesus then looks at the next person and says, do you want it? And we're to do the same thing. Do you want this truth? No, I don't want it. Do you want this truth? Find people who want it. We can't shove it on people. It's a gift, right? It's a gift. And Jesus says something, again, we're going to go a little bit further into kind of uncomfortable territory. Not only should we shake the dust off our feet if people don't want to hear it. Jesus says, if they don't want to hear it, it's going to be worse than the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, I think this is Genesis chapter ugh, 19, maybe. I'm going to go back and watch this later. I'm going to be wrong. I'm going to, I think it's 19. can't remember. But if you go back into the book of Genesis and you read about Sodom and Gomorrah, there was fire that rained down from heaven, destroyed these cities, right? And Jesus says, if people reject the truth, it's going to be worse than that. Do you know what we get from that? The message the disciples of Jesus take out to the world is not just an invitation, it's a warning. So we will all be judged, all of us. All of you that hear this right now, I, all of us, will be judged. And without the forgiveness of sin, without God's grace, we're damned. It's not gonna be good for us. So we must convey this message, not just the invitation, but the warning, because there will come a time where all of us will have to give an account of what we've done and how we've lived. And if those things have not been forgiven, we're going to have to account for a lot. We have to convey that message with love and with empathy in the hopes that people will hear it and they'll accept it and they'll change. Last part. Jesus says, look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. Beware of them because they will hand you over to local courts and flog you in their synagogues. You will even be brought before governors and kings because of me to bear witness to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you're going to speak, for you will be given what to say at that hour. Because it isn't you speaking, but the spirit of your father is speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death and father his child. Children will rise up against parents and put them to death and you'll be hated by everyone because of my name. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to another. 
For truly I tell you, you will have not gone through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. So Jesus now moves not just to a point to where some people are going to reject you. Jesus gets real serious at this point. He starts this section off. He says, look, imagine that for a second. You're walking with Jesus or you're sitting down. Maybe they're eating at this point, whatever they're doing. And Jesus says, hey, look, look for a second. We're going to get really serious. I'm sure that being out doing the miracles, I'm sure that going out and healing people and casting out demons, I'm sure that was amazing and exciting to see people give their life to Christ, to see lives turn around. But when Jesus looked at them and said, listen, it's going to be like sheep among wolves. That was probably a very sobering statement. So Christians need to remember this. If you're a Christian watching this, you need to remember this. We will face rejection and we will possibly even face persecution. Now, Jesus is unadulterated. If you underline or, or, or think about that word, unadulterated. Jesus' unadulterated message will always receive opposition. What some people have done is they've taken the message of the word and they've pulled out the uncomfortable parts that don't match up with culture in the hopes that everyone will like what Jesus has to say. But if we do not tamper with the Bible and we teach it directly from its own word, it will face opposition. You will face opposition. The unadulterated word of God will always face opposition, always. So when followers of Jesus choose, if we accept this, right, we're going to be like sheep among wolves. When we go out into the world, Jesus says, be shrewd as serpents, but innocent as doves. I love that statement. I use it all the time. I think it's absolutely fantastic. So what that means to be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves is that we are to go out, we're to show love, we're to show grace, we're also to use common sense, something that a lot of Christians lack, unfortunately, wisdom, and to not compromise our biblical truth. So yes, walk out, show grace, show love, show courage, but also use your brain, right? Also use the gift of wisdom that God has given you. That means if you're a 19-year-old girl and you're going out sharing the gospel, don't go do it in the roughest parts of town at two o'clock in the morning. That's just not smart. So use some wisdom, use some common sense. In the pastor world, I can't tell you how many pastors have dug such a financial hole for themselves because they say, man, I have faith. I'm gonna build this $30 million building and God will send the people. I just have faith which doesn't make any sense because the Bible says a wise man counts the cost before he builds a building. So many churches going to dead up their eyeballs and now a bunch of churches are probably scared to death because they're not as shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. They're not balanced in their approach, but that's how we're to be. Yes, go out, be daring, be courageous, be, be miraculous, all these things, but also use your brain, right? That's why God gave it to you. So in hard times, we also lean on the Holy Spirit. Verses 17 through 20, Jesus warns that Christians are going to face opposition on, on the smallest levels, local levels, all the way up to governors and kings. And when we face that opposition, Jesus says, don't worry about what to say. Lean on God and the Holy Spirit will give you the words at that time. Now, I hear a lot of people talking about that. Man, I don't worry about it. God will let me, he'll let me know what to do when the time comes. That's if you have a relationship with him. The spirit will only lead us if we follow. That sounds like the dumbest thing in the world to say. But the reason why so many of us don't hear God speak, the reason why so many of us don't have direction or don't know how to get things done is because we're not actually following the spirit. We're following what we want to do. And when we get into trouble, we're like, Holy Spirit, where are you? But the only way to let the Holy Spirit work through us is we must be praying, reading the word of God and obeying what the word of God says. And if we are not praying, if we are not reading the word of God, and if we are not doing what the word of God says, the Holy Spirit will not work through you because you've rejected it. You've done what you've wanted to do until you get in trouble and then you want God to bail you out. But that's not what, Jesus is not a bail bondsman, right? That's not his gig. We're to have a relationship with him. And when we have a relationship with him, he works 
through us, right? The Spirit works through us. So Jesus says, listen, it's going to get rough. Your faith will even divide families. Now listen, God loves the family. God created the family unit. God wants healthy family units. But Jesus also knew that when people give their lives to Christ, people who are non-believers will reject believers even within their family. Now, a lot of you have experienced that. I've experienced that. It's painful. But what we have to do as Christians is we have to focus on our eternal family, the family that is Christianity. As Christians, we must also make sure that we never act like this. We must not reject those differently than us. It doesn't mean we accept everything they believe. But we are to love all people, to treat all people with dignity and respect, and to keep our door open, right, if they ever do want to come and hear the truth. We need to be careful we don't act like these people act. He also says that you're going to be hated by everyone. Now, that's, that's hyperbole. God forgive me, I don't mean it bad. That was, that was Jesus exaggerating. Not everyone is going to hate you. That's not what he meant there. But he meant there would always be hatred for the truth. There will always be rejection for the truth. Even to the extreme where people will hurt you and they will slander you, there'll be violence because of it. So Jesus says, those who endure to the end will be saved. That doesn't mean you'll be saved physically. A lot of people have died for their faith, but you will be saved spiritually for eternity. The best example of that is Stephen from the book of Acts. Again, I could be wrong. I think it's Acts chapter seven, where Stephen is not saved physically, but he looks up and he basically says, I'm ready to go. And they stone him to death. He's the first one killed for his faith in the Bible. But he was not saved physically. He was saved spiritually. He endured to the end of his life and he's with Jesus right now. Amazing. So we see also in this chapter so far, we're not done with this chapter, but so far, there's a sense of urgency. Jesus sent these men out first in the area of Israel, which is a very small geographical area, but there was a lot of ground to cover. So he says, if they don't accept you here, flee to another town. That's not necessarily because he was worried about them physically, but he said the message has to get out. So if they don't receive you here, run over to this town and try there. There should still be this sense of urgency with us. We are the modern day disciples of Jesus. And there should be this sense of urgency within us to get the message of God out, the message of the gospel, the good news about Jesus out. Because even if Jesus doesn't come back for another 2,000 years or 10,000 years, I hope it's not that long. I'd, I'd be totally happy if he came back this afternoon. But anyways, if it's thousands and thousands of years for Jesus' return, it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. Because we're not promised tomorrow. So if we as Christians lose a sense of urgency, you don't know if your neighbor's going to live tomorrow. You don't know if you're going to live tomorrow. We don't have time to put this off. We have to be active and we have to be present with our faith. Now, what's interesting, at the, at the second part of verse 23, Jesus even kind of warns them a little bit. And there's different interpretations of what he means in 23b, the second half of verse 23. But he says, you guys aren't even going to cover all of Israel before the Son of Man returns. A lot of people believe that's talking about him uh, uh, referring to in 70 AD, so about 35 years after he says this, the Romans come in and they level Jerusalem, right? And the people of God, the ones who should have known better, they weren't ready for it. It absolutely decimated their culture. So Jesus was telling his followers that there should be a sense of urgency to spread the gospel. Because listen, this is going to hit home. You don't know when tragedy is going to strike. You don't know when things are going to get bad. You don't know when you're not going to have a church to go to. You don't know when you're going to come to a point to where you might not even be able to get the basic necessities. So you better be ready on the front end. You better be proactive versus reactive. Because if we just react to the world all the time and we're not proactive, we're not going to be able to handle when tragedy strikes. So Jesus tells his disciples, you got to go out and get people ready because hard times are coming, not way off in the distance, soon. And we have to be ready for that. So let's talk a little bit, okay? The first point is this. Chapter 10 is kind of the beginning of the second phase, if you will. Jesus came, 
He taught, he set the example, that's phase one. Phase two is he says, now, he looks at them and he says, now you go do it. I've modeled it for you, now it's your turn. Another thing that we're seeing in chapter 10 is Jesus sent his followers out to survey the land. Go out and look at your hometown, go out and look at your nation, go out and look at your people and see how many want to hear the truth. See how many people out there want something better than what this world has given them. Go out and survey the land. And so our mission is still the same today. The same as Jesus commissioning the original 12, go out to your land and survey, look at the people, see if they want something better and give it to them. It's still what we're called to do today. Jesus says, go out to your coffee shops, go out to your gym, go out to your work, go out to the greenway, go out to wherever you are. And when you interact with people, take a survey. Where are they? How's their spiritual life? How's their home life? How's their married life? And then give them what they need to have everything that reconciles them with their creator. Share the good news. But here's the question, are we active in that? Are we out surveying the land? Are we out being disciples, carrying out a commissioned objective from our leader? Are we active in God's plan? How does the survey of our land look? How are we doing, guys? Let me, let me, let me give you a little perspective on how we're doing. So the federal government did a study all over the United States of different counties and areas and all kinds of different data, uh, different races and, and ethnic backgrounds. And, and they did a part that was also religious. And they surveyed, I think it was 2017 was the last time they did it in Rutherford County. I could be wrong. It's on city data. Um, and if you go back and research that, you know, we, we think that we're like killing it in Middle Tennessee. Man, we're in the Bible Belt. We got some big churches. Man, our church runs 5,500 and we're not even the biggest church in town. Man, we got all these big churches and we are just killing it. The government found that 32% of all people in Rutherford County claim to go to some house of worship. That includes Buddhist temples, that includes the mosque, that includes Hindus, that includes uh, Unitarians, and it also includes Christians. That's 32% of our county that claims to go. Now, there's a lot of people who claim to be people of faith that are in no way involved and a lifestyle that Jesus wants them to be involved with. They don't go to church, they don't serve, they don't give, they don't read the word of God, they don't pray, any of that. But let's just say for argument's sake, all 32% are on fire for God, which they're not. That is three out of every 10 people. So if you take a survey of our land, if you will, at the very best, we're hitting three out of 10. That's not very good. How does that resonate with you? Let's keep moving though, right? So the last point on that one, though, the survey of the land, are we followers of Christ in action or are we just nominal Christians, which means we're Christian by name only? Yes, I'm a Christian. I don't go to church. I don't serve. I don't give. I don't pray. I don't read. I'm a Christian. That is not a Christian, not at all. That's called a nominal Christian, which means you're a Christian in name, but not in lifestyle, not in action. So here's the thing. Jesus didn't come for a certain geographical group of people. He didn't come for a certain socioeconomic group of people. Jesus came for anyone who would choose to do the will of the Father. Jesus basically says, I don't care what your gender is. I don't care what your color is. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care where you're from. Do you want to do the will of the Father? Yes, then come be my disciple. Come follow so do we do his will? It's a simple question. Do we do what the Bible tells us to do? Do we even know, though, what the Bible tells us to do? Here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it is impossible to follow Christ if we don't read this book because we don't know what Christ wants us to do. So whenever we say we're Christians, but we have never touched one of these, we are not because you don't even know what it is. You don't even know what the objectives are. You don't even know what the expectations of how to live are. And what we tend to do is we lean more onto religious practice than we lean onto a relationship with God. 
I get a kick out of Southern Protestants uh, uh, in the United States. They're always so quick to make fun of Catholics and Lutherans and Anglicans and, and kind of high church. Man, those people are so religious. That is ridiculous. But I don't read. I don't pray. But hey, I go to church every single Sunday at 11. I wear this kind of clothing. I put this bumper sticker on. It's religion just in a different way. And so all these people take shots at these other groups. It's exactly what Jesus says in Matthew chapter seven. You keep trying to pull splinters out and you got this plank of wood. You got this religious plank of wood in your eye. You don't have a relationship with God either. That's not to say that Anglicans, I've got a, a great pastor friend that's an Anglican priest and he's a good man of God with a strong relationship with Christ. But we're so busy looking at everyone else and tearing them down, we've realized we've kind of done the same thing. We depend more on our religious practice than we do on any relationship with God whatsoever. We are nominal. We're Christians in name only. The other thing is this, are we proactive with our faith or are we reactive? This is the slide that should really kind of hit home for a lot of us right now. Do we live with a sense of urgency about our lives and about the lives of others? Do we know that the gospel is not just an invitation, it's a warning that one day, as the book of Matthew says later on, we will all stand in front of the great judge. And it says that we will have to give an account for everything we've done in this life. Unless those things have been forgiven, those things are gone. But anything unrepented for, we're going to have to give an account. So listen, the gospel is not just an invitation to have a relationship with Jesus and be saved for eternity. It is also a warning that if we reject that, there are consequences to that. Are we proactive? How's your relationship with Jesus? Honestly, we'll get 7,500 people on a square to worship, which is awesome. And our team does a great job with that. And it is a phenomenal thing. But I can't get 10 people an hour to come in here and pray. Are we prepared for the trials, the temptations? Are we prepared for the opposition? <laughs> We're doing it right now, but there's gonna be more in the future. We, I don't even think we've seen the tip of the iceberg of the ramifications of this. I'm not talking about a virus. I'm talking about the outcome of the, uh, the economy and the social implications that are gonna take place from all this. We haven't even seen it yet. How have we handled it so far? Are we closer to God, Right? You know, if you're watching this, it means that it's probably gloomy outside and you can't do something else. But we've even noticed here, I'm just gonna be a jerk for a second and Kyle's behind the camera. So, you know, like, anyways, Kyle and I will come here on the weekends or Spencer or Chris or, and we do the live stream, you know, during the hours that we usually have service. Since we started doing live stream, it started off with something like 50,000 views a weekend. Now we're at like 10 because we haven't gotten closer to God during this time. We've grown complacent all over again. We were complacent coming here every week, and now we've been complacent not coming here. I'll get to the message sometime later this week, right? I'm not gonna sit down with my family at five, seven, nine, or 11, get out the communion, do all these things, because man, it's sunny outside. And then when the crap hits the fan and everything turns into chaos and a mess, we're like, how did this happen? It happened because we're reacting to a situation, not getting our relationship with God good before the situation happens. I don't know if I hurt anyone's feelings yet. So let's cut to the chase because I'm at a point personally where I'm just so sick of dodging the hard questions. So let's just ask them real quick. The first one is, how do you think we're doing, right? Awful, Corey. Well, what are you gonna do about it? How is society right now? Have we gotten deeper? I was in my garage the other day. I was working on one of my old cars and I'm listening to NPR. And NPR is doing this, this, this huge interview with these actors and screenwriters who are just really struggling with the social distancing. And I'm working on my car and I'm like, my God, we haven't learned anything. We are still the selfish, self-preservation, egotistical me-driven society that we were before all this junk happened. How is society doing? And if you agree with me that it kind of sucks, then what's our plan? What are we gonna do about it? We're the ones called to be the light of the world. 
Have we as Christians accepted our role that we are to go out like sheep among the wolves and heal and deliver and present the gospel message that saves people's souls? Have we gone out and done that? Guys, I'm gonna go back to it again, hopefully to get more people to come in here and pray. All these people are like, man, I don't have time to pray during this time. I got time to go to Lowe's and spend a couple of thousand dollars and do a bunch of stuff at my house, but man, I can't go to the church for an hour. I got a social distance unless I'm out shopping. We're the light of the world. Are we acting like it? Have we accepted the role of disciple? I am a follower of Jesus. And Jesus walked straight into a cross. Just let that simmer for a second. Are we following the Father's instructions? Do we even know the Father's instructions? Man, I'm a follower of Jesus. Do you even know what that means? Do you know what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Do you know what that means? Do you know what the Word says about how we are to live? It's not a free-for-all, guys. We don't follow Jesus and then think that we can go any direction. When we're following a leader, we go His direction. Do we even know what the direction is? Do we know what the instructions are? It's impossible to hit a target that we don't even know where it is. Are we proactive with our faith? Or will we continue to be reactive? <laughs> and here's the problem with a reactive lifestyle. Sometimes it's too late. When you're at a funeral and you're about to put that person into the ground, it's too late to pray for their soul. It's too late to share the gospel with them. Are we proactive or are we reactive? When your wife leaves or when your husband leaves, right? When your family is torn apart and you're trying to pick up the pieces, it's too late by that point. I'm not saying that God can't be gracious and things can't be restored, but until those things happen or, or before those things happen, let's be proactive with our faith. Let's invest in our children before they make these horrible mistakes. Let's invest in our spouse before she's about to walk out the door. Are we proactive or are we reactive? The bottom line is this today. Are we Christians in name only, right? 60% of the United States says they are Christians. There's a book called Faith for Exiles, where a guy named David Kinnaman, along with a guy named George Barna, did a bunch of research of what the Bible says is a biblical disciple versus how most Christians live. They have come to the conclusion, based on extensive research, that 10% of the United States actually fits the criteria of a disciple of Jesus. We are one nation under God, right? We're blessed because we're so Christian. We don't even know what that means anymore. We say we're Christian and we live however we want to live. We do whatever we want to do. We don't pray. We don't study. We're not reaching out to people. We're not sharing the gospel. So the question is, are we nominal Christians or are we disciples of Jesus Christ? If you want to be a disciple, it's going to take some work. It's exciting. It's fulfilling. It's also hard. It's also disappointing. It's also carrying across a burden, an obligation given to us by God. I'm looking for someone who wants to join me. I'm looking for people who want to get on board with something deeper than just coming to a building or, or just getting together for, for big events or whatever. I'm looking for someone who wants to walk and, and have the dust of their rabbi get all over their clothes, right? That's what a disciple did. They walked so closely to their teacher that the dust from their shoes gets all over them. That's what, that's what I'm looking for. Are you out there? Is anyone out there? Does anyone want to move from just being a nominal Christian to a true disciple of Jesus Christ? If you're watching this right now and you're not a believer, listen, I'm not going to lie to you. Being a Christian, a real Christian, is not easy. It's hard. But it's fulfilling. It is good. It gives you purpose. It gives you value. It gives you direction. In times that are hard, you find joy and contentment and peace. A peace that the Bible says passes all understanding. Easy? No. Good? Yes. So if you're watching this, get a hold of us. Info at experiencecc.com. We'll do whatever we can to connect with you, right? We may be even so crazy to meet you in person. We'll do that now, right? If you're watching this now and you claim to be a Christian, 
I don't care about that title right now. Let's, let's kick that title aside for a second. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? And if you say yes, can you justify it? Can you justify it? Here's the beauty in this. If we have not walked the way we should, it's not too late. We have this moment right now to where we can humble ourselves and say, I have been apathetic. I have been complacent. I have been lazy. I have done it the way I want to do it, and that's not right, and we can change. So every week we do this. We have communion, right? I encourage you, listen, if you're watching right now and you haven't been doing this with us, get whatever you have in your house, right? A Ritz cracker and some high C. I don't care. Get that. Sit down either by yourself, with your wife, with your husband, with your kids, with your friends, whoever you're with. This is important because it's something tangible that reminds us of something that is huge in our lives. This bread, whatever your bread looks like, mine looks like a piece of styrofoam and it tastes like it as well. This represents the body of Jesus Christ that was given for us that by his stripes we are all healed, if not in this life and the life to come, right? This represents restoration, completeness, wholeness that he gave everything for us. The wine represents the blood that came out of his body that covers up our sin. It, it relieves us of our spiritual debt. It covers up our shame and our guilt associated with those things. Salvation comes through the blood of Jesus Christ, the ultimate sacrifice for humanity. Father, we take this bread today, God, to remember what you've done for us, Lord, that we can have life everlasting because of your body that was given for us, that we can all live in perfection, one day with you, God, because of what your sacrifice was for us. We also take this wine, Father, to remember your grace, your mercy, your, your love for us, God, that you would shed your blood for our sins, for our shame, for our guilt, for our mistakes, for our, our spiritual debt, God. We take this, Lord, to remember your sacrifice for us. Father, Lord, we love you. Lord, there is a lesson to be learned right now. Please don't let us miss it. Please let our ears be open, God. Like you said in the book of Revelation, for those who have ears, listen. Lord, let us be people that have ears to listen right now. God, we love you. If we have become apathetic, if we have become lazy, if we have become complacent, God, forgive us. Put us back on the right track. Father, I, I, and I know there are many others out there, I don't have a desire to be labeled as a Christian. I have a desire to be labeled as a disciple of Jesus. Lord, let me follow in your footsteps to the best of my ability and through your ability, God, and through your grace. And please do that for the people listening right now, God. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I hope to see you soon. Love you guys.